welcome, welcome, welcome. Da, 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 da. Now, what's that tune? The Sweeney. Oh, can you switch that bloody thing off? I I to- how many not, times have I told it's you? Not, it's yours. <laughs> <It's> me. <laughs> oh, that is me. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Here he is lecturing me about his my bloody phone and it's his phone that's going off. Yeah, like look, I'm sorry about that. So anyway, um, the, let's That's get probably from you putting your phone number on the dunny wall up at <laughs> I'm getting From the last episode. You did that to me. You have to listen to the last episode you to get did, that tagline. You did that to me. You put my name and number up on the back <laughs> of the dunny door. <laughs> up near your place on the Darlinghurst wall. Anyway... Um, who do we have on Refer today? to the last episode, folks. Who do we have on today? We have we have uh, the I've Been Everywhere Man. Matthew Sweeney. Da, da, da. Oh, that's where I'll insert that. Okay, okay, you'll insert but that But you, you better tell us about Matthew because so you, you, um, you, you stumbled across him at a party, didn't you? Well, no, he's actually a friend of a friend of mine and he's uh, he used to be an ex-corporate jockey. Uh, decided to quit one day. He was a high flyer and all of a sudden he... Uh, so just, he's the little guy. No, <laughs> not in time in in terms of stature. Oh right, no, no, he's, so he's not a jockey size. No, no, corporate no. guy. No, no, not not a fifty kilo. He doesn't have a voice like that. <laughs> well, we don't know yet. <laughs> he hasn't come into the studio. He might. <laughs> he, he might. He <laughs> might. <laughs> Comes in, he's Lord of the Rings. Come on, come on, no more short jokes, will you? <laughs> Just take Kiss, it easy. He went to the dance and kissed every girl in the joint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too. <laughs> oh, that, that is that is too sad. <laughs> but he made a few of them happy. <laughs> Oh, we're so un-PC. <laughs> Lucky we're going off the air after today's episode. I think we're, we're going to be banned. <laughs> and who gives a there's rat's a, there's, a, there's a special rating for us. It goes beyond that little E you see next to a lot of episodes. I actually have to put that in now. Why? Because when I upload the episode, it has the little box with is there explicit. And the so, last few we've been... Fairly explicit. So is there another rating beyond that? <laughs> like non-PC? <laughs> dirty, dirty. E plus non-PC. Non-PC, yeah. <laughs> so let's get back to the topic at hand. Yep. Okay. Matthew Sweeney, he's been a man that's uh, travelled the world. He has some, he's been in some hairy locations. <laughs> <laughs> that's back at that dance, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's back at the dance. <laughs> <laughs> so he is a jockey. <laughs> I think we just better get him in. Yeah, let's get him in. Welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Matthew, welcome to our studio and and I've, I've got to say welcome back to Australia. 
Thanks, George, and it's good to be here. You recently, you recently came back uh, when, Matthew? About a month ago. Yep. I, I originally set out to be away for three to six months and, uh, and, but finally got home after three years. Wow. Well, um, I was fortunate that I could sell my unit while I was away and uh, that uh, enabled me to stay, uh, you know, for uh, an indefinite period, really. Now, you have uh, quite a, a long story. I mean, you could share a lot of stories, I know, from because, you know, we have a mutual friend. So I know your background a bit, but let's go back. Let's go back to, let's say, uh, a time when, when you were just having a normal upbringing and a normal um, lifestyle. Um, when you were a kid, where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? My, uh, my, uh, my father was the chief crime reporter for the Sydney Morning Herald for about 40 years. And uh, so we grew up, uh, I grew up with my sister and I in Sydney for, I guess, the first seven years of my life in the eastern suburbs. Uh, and then when my father uh, bowed out of that uh, industry, we moved down to the south coast, mm. uh, down to, to, to Tomorong, actually, south of Oh, Bama. yes, lovely. Mm. Uh, yeah, and it was. It was a beautiful uh, place to... To be, and uh, from there I went to boarding school in Cheval at Chevalier College in Barrow. Yes, yeah, I know it. Um, we're a bit of a, bit, a bunch of roughheads, really. If you couldn't crack it at Kings or Riverview, then you might get a, a Guernsey at Chev, you know. But uh, you know, it was a fairly formidable school in terms of uh, some of the footballers, and uh, not so much academically, but it was uh, it was a good uh, rounded education, I'd say. And 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 how did you? I mean, how did you see yourself at the time? Like, you fit in quite well, or you're a rugger, or you were an uh, academic, or what no, were you? I, no, I couldn't profess to have been an academic at that point. I, <coughs> I was a slow, slow starter that way. Um, and rugby-wise, I probably had a few skills, but I was very small. I was the smallest kid at the school. And uh, so I wasn't, wasn't that great uh, at the rugby. But... Uh, I seemed to, to, to mix in pretty good after a while. I hated going there in the first two years. Right. I was 11 when I went there. And, right. You know, we were under a bunch of uh, um, a melancholic Irish priests who had, a, had a, an old-school way of education and discipline. And um, that, uh, that, that was always hard. But uh, after a while, you, you, because of that, you formed some pretty close friendships. A lot of my good mates are uh, ex-chef uh, boarders. Um, yeah, so it was pretty. It was it was difficult to start with. Yes. So did you go uh, go to there for the rest of your schooling? Yeah, I had the six years of high school there. Right. Yeah. Right. And so when you finished high school, what was the next plan of attack? Well, I never ever had a plan. I've right. uh, I've always just sort of uh, goed with the flow, I suppose. I never at school. I'd, I I didn't. Uh, I wouldn't have the HSC. I wouldn't have matriculated for university, for instance. So. Hmm. I ended up in sales positions. Uh, I ended up in the recruitment industry and uh, working for the world's largest recruitment company, uh, ADECO, and uh, they had 140 offices in Australia and I managed to uh, make our office the most uh, profitable of the whole company. Uh, so I was quite proud of that and, and I, f I fell into an industry that I was good at um, and did that for a number of years. but. My mother gave me a book on the Appalachian Trail uh, in about 94, and this was at the time the world's longest hiking trail in America. 
you may have heard of it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, it's a six-month, typically a six-month trip. Anyway, I read the book and I knew I had to do it. Uh, mm. I, don't, I couldn't say why, uh, but I just knew I had to do it. And uh, I gave the book to a good friend of mine uh, who also went to Chev and, and uh, we did it together in 96. Um, and it changed my life. Uh, I remember talking to the, the, the liaison officer of the Appalachian Trial Conference um, before we went and she said, you know, you realise if you do this trial it'll, it'll, it'll ruin your life. And she was only <laughs> half joking when she said that. And I think what she meant was that once you finish that you'll be looking for the next trial and the next trial and the next trial. And I've been back 15 times now doing these trips um, as well as long distance trips in Europe and... Uh, and Africa and the Middle East. So what? 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 So it, when you did it the first time, you were still working? No, I left my job. I had a right. promising career with Adeco, um, and uh, you know I had no compunction in leaving the job. <laughs> I knew that if things didn't work out, I'd come back and get another job. That's always been my attitude, yeah. and I'm, I've come to realise that. You go away for six months to a year or three years. You come back, not much has changed. Your friends are doing the same stuff. And your opportunities widen somehow. Um, Because, uh, you know, your skill levels, uh, uh, both socially and uh, from a world perspective, have broadened and it makes you more employable, I think. Right. So I don't think anybody should ever be frightened to interrupt their career for any length of period of time because they think that that might somehow hold them back uh, when, you know, down the track. So you read the book, so you read this book. And there was just something inside your head that went, oh, I've, I've got it. What was that? For, what? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess, you know, I, I had read people like John Muir, the great natural, uh, American naturalist, uh, who was uh, central in bringing, uh, uh, you know, presidents to America to, and, and setting up and protecting national parks. I mm. read a lot of his stuff. I'd read a lot of Thoreau, for instance. And their ethos is about... Uh, nature and how uh, we can strive when we're in nature, uh, it just appealed to me. Uh, mm. And I knew instantly that it's something I wanted to do. Plus the idea of getting fit and hiking all day, that nomadic life. Uh, but although I didn't really have any full understanding of what we're about to embark on just by reading the book, it, that became pretty apparent. <laughs> so tell us the first trip because that would have yeah. been the, probably the hardest, right? It was in many ways. Yeah, so well, tell us a little bit about that trip. Oh, sorry, George. Well, no, no, I was, just, I was just interested about the practicalities of it all. Like you, I mean, well, we're but, talking about pre-internet days, pre-YouTube. Yes, that's right. You couldn't just look up information. No. And, 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 for example, simple things like knowing what gear you yes. needed and, that, and, that's, and how to feed yourself. That's pretty salient of you to say that because uh, it was pre-internet days. We had no real idea of what we were doing. Mm. uh, Our main resource was this uh, book about somebody who had done it and who Mm. only had done half of it. Um, So uh, we uh, we, uh, were very wet behind the ears. We lobbed in Atlanta. The start of the trail is in North Georgia. The Appalachian Trail goes through 14 states of America, finishes up near the Canadian border. Uh, And we were... Uh, fortunate that we found an outdoor gear store there and that was uh, the salesperson there had done the Appalachian Trail. 
But back in those days, big heavy leather boots, carrying skillets, Swiss Army pocket knives were all the rage. And that's highly unsuitable for long distance hiking, <laughs> as yes. we found out pretty quickly. Yes. In fact, in the first 30 miles, you could, you could re resupply yourself 10 times over by the amount of stuff that's jettisoned out of people's packs because they realise pretty quickly that, do I really need this? Do I need to be lugging this right. across a country? Um, so we, uh, we got matching gear. We had the same sleeping bags, packs, stoves, uh, water filters, sleeping mats, and it was all gear that was um, probably not that suitable. But um, we got out to the start of the trail uh, my mate had been, um, you know, he'd played a bit of first first grade footy in the country. He's a sheep farmer and uh, was fit as a fiddle <coughs> where I'd let myself go. And uh, so um, for the first month or so, I wanted to quit every day. So I was glad <laughs> he was there. Uh, <laughs> he kept keep, you going. Keep me going. And um, it was tough. It was very tough, you know, like you, we were expected to walk you know, once you get into Nick, you're walking, you know, 20-plus miles a day with 40-, 50-pound packs on up and down huge mountains. Just um, the two of you, right? Oh, there's people come from all around, all around the world to do these trails. Uh, but back then it wasn't that as popular as it is now. There's been a movie about it since then, a, mm. right. a mm. Robert Redford movie. That Robert Redford, right, yeah. yeah. And that's attracted a lot of people to it. Um, but after a while you become, I know it's kind of cliched, but you do become one with nature. You get used to sleeping on the hard ground. Uh, you get expert at uh, setting up tents and, um, you know, hiking in the rain and uh, whatever, the, whatever nature wants to throw at you. Uh, you get pretty adept at, at, at uh, ploughing through all of that. Um, and... Um, yeah, it was, a, it was just a hell of an experience and, and you get so fit, you know, and, and you're meeting good people, people who have similar outlooks on life to you. Um, and um, I say to anyone that's wondering about their next step in life, please consider going to do one of these trials. It will change your life and it will be by far the best thing you've ever done. And, and, and that's not me saying that only, it's people that you meet along the trail, people who have been you know, doctors, lawyers, whatever, midlife crisis. They go and do this trial and it, and it changes them forever. So so what happens, like, the practical things, like what happens if you get sick? Like, do you uh, just well, stop or do you...? Well, I know, for instance, I, I, I had blisters down to the bone on my heels Ouch. and I used to just put duct tape on it and grin through it, I guess. Right. There's always someone out there with a, a more severe hard luck story than your own, so you just... Uh, you don't tend to get colds and things because you're fit and you're outdoors. Um, I mean, it's not a death march in that, yes, you've got to finish by, uh, by, uh, by the time the full brunt of winter comes in from Canada. Mm. Uh, so there's always that, um, that, dawn, that dawns on you. But, um, so, but you, if, you, if you're particularly sick, then you have a day off, you know. Mm. Typically, we'd walk, you know, five and a half, six days a week. Uh, sometimes less than that, you know. So, um, so after the first time, what did you learn about yourself most? Uh, that I was just like everybody else. Right. Uh, nothing too profound mm. other than I realised that... I also realised that the mind gives up way before the body. Right. In that... 
you can be having you can be you can just be physically exhausted and your mind tells you that you've reached the reached a barrier but in fact you can go through that and 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 I'm imagining that um, athletes around the world know this you know um, so that that was interesting because because I think once the in the past perhaps the mind says you know that's enough um, but you can break through that right but you've you, you obviously um, had some challenging moments on that on that journey. Yeah. Um, what were some of the highlights of of that trip? I mean, I, I take it it wasn't you weren't completely isolated along the whole trail. It meandered no. through. It meandered through some skirted rural around towns. Communities. And your rural communities. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, so what did you learn? Uh, I, I learned that uh, most people. Uh, you know, I, I, you see yourself in others somehow. You spend mm. a lot of time with other people and you're seeing them at, 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 you know, in hardship. And you tend to... You meet someone on the trail and you tend to be talking about... Uh, you're not... All the, you know, you're not talking all the bullshit because somehow life is concentrated and you, and you, and you want to get to the... You want to find out about somebody straight away. And so you're having really interesting conversation with people right from the get-go and you feel like a day is a week on the trail, you know. Um, I take it you were comparing, in the moment you were comparing what you were experiencing to what you had in the city, city yes. life. What were you seeing? Well, I was seeing that you, you, you need very little in life to be happy. I mean, good water, reasonable food, um, <laughs> you know, anything you can fit in your backpack, it's, it's all you need. It's, it's nonsense to think that we need to uh, surround ourselves uh, in material wealth um, to be happy. So you, so you had all these thoughts going through your mind yeah. on this first journey, right? And you got to the end, which was a major achievement. How many miles are we talking about? Uh, it ends up, they say uh, it's because you've got to add in, uh, they, they say to add 20% to the, to the actual trial miles. So you're probably doing close to 2,500 miles, which is uh, over f around, say, 4,000 kilometres. Which in anyone's language is, is a major <coughs> it's a achievement. Shitload. <laughs> yeah, it's a shitload. And, yeah. then, and you got to, the, got to the end, which yeah. then, what did you say to yourself? Like, what well, did you... uh, some of the big achievements were before that somehow, like the getting to Damascus, appropriately named, I suppose, um, <laughs> Was uh, was the quarter way mark of the trail? Right. I had never thought I'd make it to there. By the time we got to the end, I think we'd realised that we were going to make it. Uh, but it was um, it, it was very very satisfying, you know. But I remember coming back on the plane thinking, how fantastic! But I'll never do anything. I'll never want to do anything like that again. It's too hard, you know. But when you get back yeah into normal life you start thinking about the next trip you know and the next trip and it just <laughs> so so you got back from the first trip yeah and did you go back to work or what yeah i went i was fortunate that the adeco had me straight back and right. they actually opened up a, a manager's position for me straight away and i and i came back and um ripped into that and um and did that for 4 years um and then went again to do the next trial how old were you at the time uh, I was 27 when I first did the Appalachian Trial. Now you were you you you, you don't mind you don't mind us uh, bringing up the subject, but yeah. you you started to have some um, mental issues. Yes. You, you're saying at which time did that start to kick in? Well, that started in um, probably around 
Uh, I'd always had a bit of anxiety at school. I was always a fairly introverted kind of right. person who had developed extroverted skills, if you like, from a job. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I, I had uh, anxiety at school. I think my father had bad anxiety and it was a bit of family trait there. Uh, but I'd learned to deal with that. But I, had an in I was working as a medical rep, actually, when I was confronted by someone out of a case of mistaken identity with a gun at my head and uh, told me that they were going to kill me and it was, it was pretty harrowing. It, it rattled me, but I went back to work that day. Uh, and I continued to go to work for three months and finally um, the big German uh, pharmaceutical company I was working for asked me if I uh, would go and see a psychiatrist uh, because they didn't think I was, you know, firing on all cylinders. Um, they could see that I was a bit paranoid and, and, and down in the dumps. So uh, being a medical rep, I wanted, I, you know, I wanted to go and see the best, so I went to see um, Professor Gordon Parker. Uh, who'd won a Nobel laureate for his work in depression. He was the head uh, president of the Black Dog Institute and the head of psychiatry at New South Wales. So mm. I went to see him and uh, he, uh, he said that he was uh, reticent to make a quick diagnosis, but he said in my case uh, all the hallmarks of post-traumatic stress disorder were in, in place and he'd like to try me on a certain medication, which ordinarily was a very safe medication. A lot of people tolerate it well. I won't say what it was for some people that might be on it might yep. get the wrong idea. Yep. Uh, but I had uh, what they call a serotonergic reaction to it. So I was poisoned by serotonin. It happens to about 2% of people. And it, the mental anguish that it causes, as, as, as he can also said, is so extreme that it's, it's worse than depression. It's, it's, you're being poisoned by medicine. And although I didn't have any psychosis, it... It, uh, I was quickly admitted to, uh, to a, um, a mental health hospital um, and um, it, it was terrible. It turned what, my life upside down. What year was, what, what roughly, in the, in the scheme of your walking or the trails, yes. was it in the middle of it or where did, it, where did that ha happen? It happened working as a medical rep in Sydney. Right. Uh, in between my, my walks and, and cycling. Right. Um, so I ended up uh, in, in, a, in a, you know, in many different, um, because once you're in the system, you see, um, you know, you become a bit of a guinea pig. And because mm. of, because of the, uh, the, the terrible uh, symptoms that I was suffering, I ended up on, on, what, on an antipsychotic medication. I should never have been put on it, but, mm. but I was. I didn't, I didn't have any psychosis. But... Uh, Doctors these days are doling out these antipsychotics uh, for people <coughs> with sleep disorder, for instance. Mm. You know, the, it's 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 wrong, really. But I, I I've always said it's like a chemical lobotomy being on these medications. But I've resigned to the fact that I'm, they're very difficult to come off. But I've resigned to the fact that I'm on medication now and um, and uh, get on with it. You know. Yeah. So. So you, you evened all that out and you got yes. back out there and quit your job, did you? And then had, was it like, well, I, do you get like the calling of the, you know, yeah, call of the, the, the call of I the do. wild? I do. I mean, in, before this um, medical uh, thing, I, um, I went back with my mate, Tim, um, and did the Pacific Crest Trial, which is from Mexico to Canada. Wow. And, and we did that uh, together and that's uh, nearly a 5,000-kilometre hike and uh, it's a step up from the Appalachian Trail and 
we were the first two Australians to, to do the, the world's two longest hiking trails. And, um, and after that, Tracy Grimshaw did a, a, a big story on us uh, by uh, satellite. Um, and uh, we got a fair bit of notoriety for that. Um, then um, after that, I... Did it make you wealthy? No. Nah. <laughs> Are you wealthy? No, rich, and, yet. rich and famous? Can you lend me famous? 50 bucks? <laughs> no, nothing like that. People don't see hiking as, as a particularly sexy sport or anything, you know. Mm. Um, and I've never, never tried to get any sponsorship or anything. Uh, I'll write a book one day. I've got the page numbers done. <laughs> You're halfway there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, we did that and uh, came back and then I then I tried a new career and that was being a medical rep. Uh, and then in o and so now I've done um, five uh, major cycling trips in America, three of them coast to coast across America. Wow. So I've done probably close to 40,000 miles of cycling in America. Well, you like Forrest Gump. You just started yeah, yeah. and kept going. Yeah, yeah. it's like that. You become obsessed by it. Um, there's so you, no, there's no just, better way to live. So you're constantly thinking about your next... The next trip. And yeah, even though I've just had three years away doing these trips, I'm, I'm thinking about the next one, you know. So the three years away, I mean, what, what I guess people would be sitting out there who are listening to this be saying, well, how the... Do you pay for yeah. all this? That's right. Um, well, you don't. Well, I, I uh, on rice. You're on <laughs> rice. <laughs> but still, well, but it still costs you money. Every yeah, no, it does. Uh, <coughs> I, I sold my unit. You know, I had a unit uh, when I was working in recruitment. I was, you know, as a single guy, I was able to sock away a lot of money. I was making big money. Yeah. Uh, but you know, now I have nothing. You know, I've got a fifty thousand dollar debt. Right. And I'll go to sleep like a baby tonight. I couldn't care less because I know that I'll. I'll get a job, I'll pay it off and I'll make just enough to go and do another trip. So that's, so that's the plan for this time now is to get back, go back to work. Yes. <clears throat> work for a period of time and you've already probably got the next trip planned, haven't yes. you? Yes. Well, so, yeah, there's a few options. Uh, but I try to, uh, you go crazy, you've got to put it into the back of your mind a little bit. Mm. I've got to get, I've got to knuckle down now and, and get a job and, uh, and work for, say, three years and... Um, so in the meantime, again. what do you do? Rent? Do you just rent or...? Yeah, unfortunately, my brother-in-law owns a pub and I'm living with him at the moment. Oh. Perfect. Can He's I come not, and live you know. with your brother-in-law? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, can we come? <laughs> he owns a pub. Yeah, like, you like him, George. He's a good Greek boy. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh even better. So yeah. He owns a pub. You, you give him a plug. Give him a plug. Which yeah, Dicey Riley's down in Wollongong, one of the, uh, probably the only Irish pub on the coast. Owned by a Greek. <laughs> Irish pub owned yeah. by a Greek. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> That's gold. Yes. And Listen. he's a good, good guy, George, and uh, he's uh, one of the few bands left that, a uh, few pubs that do live music regularly. And uh, they had the old radiators playing there. The, the old radiators. Night, so. That's down in Wollongong. So there you go, George. I, I know a little, well. a little known, yeah. a little, yeah. Yeah, you know. I yeah. know your, your background with yeah. the all-nighters. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, I mean, you can catch up later, you two, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, but, uh, and, and connect through the old rock and roll scene. But, but look, you, you mentioned the American trails. Yep. But you've been all, all around the world, right? Can you rattle off a list of trails that you've done? Well, I've done, I've, I've, I've done other, tra uh, uh, other trails in America as well. Uh, like I said, I've Tell been... Us. Been 14 or 15 times now. Mm. But in terms of... Uh, I went and did half of the Israeli National Scenic Trail, which was wonderful. That's a short trail, I take it? Yeah, it's a 1,000-kilometre trail. I did about half of it. 
and it's a pretty unique experience. Uh, you know, you'll uh, you'll be put up by Berbers, Palestinians, Jewish people, um, and you go through some beautiful desert country and and Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff. So I've done that, um, and I've done some major. I've I've I just uh, in this three years thing, I did about four thousand kilometres cycling all through Europe, um, about twenty countries, and. Uh, Went down and lived in Morocco for a while and got my paragliding certificate down there. So part of it was being just a regular tourist, you know. Yeah. So, so is there <clears throat> is there a trail or a or a cycling trail that that is like the the holy grail of trails? Like is well, like, I think I'd, I think the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail are right. Uh, there is another trail that I've cherry picked, uh, but it's not completed yet properly. It's called the Continental Divide Trail. It's also in America and it, it runs through the Rockies. Right. But probably in another 20 years it'll be finished properly. Do we, do we not have anything like uh, that in Australia? I don't think uh, we have anything uh, that could be that long that would uh, uh, keep a hiker's interest the whole way because a lot of it's arid, desert country. Um, no, we don't have any. We have, well, we do. We have, uh, we have a trail that more or less... Uh, Stays on the crest of the um, of our Great Australian Range, um, uh, the Alpine Way, which is about six hundred kilometres. Uh, but so- somehow it doesn't appeal to me. Uh, my spiritual home is America, and I'll always go back there. It's a funny. It's a funny thing you say that because uh, my cousin fr- from Greece, who, who's been over here several times, he said, you know, the funny thing about Australia is. The, the scenery doesn't change, <laughs> you know. You, yeah. see, you could be walking yeah. for miles or driving for miles and it doesn't change. Whereas I imagine the trails that you you took, there was something around every corner. There is. And, uh, I mean, there's even mountains in America where you go through all of the ecological zones other than Arctic just in one mountain, you know. So... That there, must have been great. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing country over there. Um, the Sierras, the Cascades, um, you know, the Appalachians, um, the Ozarks, um, the Rockies, it's all there. Um, and uh, if anyone's having a, a think about what they're going to do in life next, then pick up a book or go on the internet and have a look at some of these long trials in America. And mm. I promise you that if you stick with it, it'll, it'll change your life for the better. Mm. Well, I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing, Matthew. It was on. It wasn't all roses and skittles. No. Um, uh, tell us about some of the the hairy stories that you've you've like uh, hairy experiences. Some of the hair raising experiences, I should say, that you've had. Well, for hundreds and hundreds of miles, you're above tree line, so you can be up as high on the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, we summited uh, America's highest mountain in the lower 48. That's over 14,000 feet. But you can be consistently up around 10, 12,000 feet, 13,000 feet. So you're going to be subjected to everything the weather can throw at you. So that's harrowing. What, uh, what about altitude sickness? Where yes, you... altitude sickness yeah. is, is very relevant. That can kick in at about 6,000 feet for some people. Um, and it slows you down a lot, you know. You just can't hike as strongly as you can as you, uh, at those altitudes as, as you can at sea level. Um, so lightning, uh, you know, bear encounters, hanging your food from bears every night, 
Um, what about hanging yourself from bears? Yeah. Did you do that as well? Well, just hanging yourself too. <laughs> no, no but, but I'm serious. Did yeah. you have to get yourself off the ground uh, in bear country? Well, what you typically would do uh, is you would eat your meal with a stove-cooked meal a couple of hours before you, you camp at night so that those smells aren't around your campsite, for instance. Now, when you get into camp, if you'd hang your food, uh, but the, the, the bears are getting increasingly... Uh, cunning, for instance, you've got to pick out a branch that will sustain the weight of uh, of, of your food bag. But if it's um, if it if it's too strong, it'll it'll uh, be over to uh, have a cub. The mother will send the cub out on the branch to get. Is the that food. right? So you got to. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh God. So they are clever. Yes, and uh, you know mountain lions. Um, you know, there's there's wolverines out there, all kinds of things. But the weather is tough. Uh, getting lost in snow uh, has happened to me. I was lost for four days. Lost for four days. Yeah. How did you find and, yourself? Uh, well, I was. I made the classic mistake of uh, convincing myself that I hadn't got off trail, uh, that I was right and the map was wrong. <laughs> that's, a, that's a rookie that's a mistake. That's a classic. It is. And... Uh, <laughs> But once you've done it once, you, 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 you don't do it again. Um, but I was fortunate to come across a horse packer who set me straight. Um, so that, that, you know, that was a hell of a thing. So if you had not, if you had not come across the horse packer, yeah. what, would have, what, what do you think would have It's happened? quite possible that I would have died because I was out of food. Uh, I, would have, I would have had enough nows to keep going for, for a couple of weeks, I guess. There was plenty of snow melt water around, for instance and worked out how to catch a fish or, or whatever, but it was, um, it was, you know, it was um, touch and go, I guess, for a while. So so, do you, so uh, on all of these journeys, have you still got your mate going with you or has he, no, he um, gone, you're, you're nuts, Matthew, you can piss off on? No, well, he went back uh, and, and did parts of other trails over there and then got into skiing and spent a season uh, working uh, in ski resorts over there. But he met, we met two girls on the Appalachian Trail in 96 who were also hiking the trail. And um, he, um, he married one of them. Right. And uh, I've just been with them, actually, visiting with them. And they've got two kids now. She, she's an American girl that's come to live with him on the sheep farm in, right. in Australia. Wow, and that's a... Yeah, and it was great for them. A big uh, change. Yeah, because he might have found it a bit difficult finding a, a woman uh, down in Bombala, you know, that not many... <laughs> women want to go and live their lives on a sheep farm these days. But she know? was obviously comfortable with the isolation and exactly. being out in the wilderness. That's yeah. right. And she's, right. A, she's established her own business called uh, Gone Heidi Quilting. That was her trail name, Heidi. Gone Heidi? Quilting. Quilting. And uh, she's more into fabric these days, but uh, uh, she's pretty good at what she does and um, she's happy doing it. So that, that worked well for well, them. Well, you've given her a good plug, which is great, because <laughs> our, our listeners will probably look her up now. Uh, but but you know, some other—I mean, I've had the benefit of—I've—I've uh, uh, had the benefit of uh, knowing of your stories through uh, through Stephen, and he tells me that uh, I should ask you about the time that you went into a coma. Uh, so that was a bit of a story, yeah. Yeah, I forgot to mention that I, I did a—I did a trail called the GR5. It's one of Europe's great hiking trails, and it. It runs along the, the top of uh, the uh, Swiss, French, Italian Alps. Mm. And I was nearly finished it. It was a four-month hike. And uh, 
was up on the Swiss-Italian border and I got a severe pain in my um, esophagus area and I knew it was bad having a medical background. So I got down on the French side and um, was fortunate that there was a, a French doctor there in a little country town there and she said, you have to go to hospital straight away. And I said, well, I don't want to go because I don't have my health insurance has, excuse me, has lapsed. She said she had a duty of care and I had to go. She saved my life in that regard because I probably would have been stubborn and not gone. But the pain got unbearable and uh, they got me, uh, it was like a four-hour trip in a fire truck down to Nice, which happens to be one of the world's great endocrinology hospitals. So I was lucky because my pancreas had become necrotic and uh, I went into a coma, uh, my lungs collapsed, I was on a life support system. They weren't very hopeful that I would... Uh, come through it and uh, subsequently my mother got on a plane and, and flew over, uh, you know, she's 84 at the time and she got on that plane and came over. She was by my bed side as well as a good friend of mine from Ireland um, and I came through. Um, and I put a lot of weight on because of it because it has a, an effect on your, on your blood sugar levels. What, but, cause, yeah, was, what causes that? Well, uh, <laughs> it's normally attributable to either heavy drinking uh, and um, uh, gallstones, and they they weren't able to say either way. I had I, I had been a heavy drinker when I was young, like most Aussie kids, you know. Mm. But I wasn't drinking prior to the event, so they don't know. My suspicion is it was the antipsychotic I'm on or some bad water, uh, but I haven't had a bout of it since. Um, and and I was told that had I've ended up in an Italian hospital or any other hospital other than this one in Nice, I probably wouldn't have uh, survived. That's a great plug for the Italians. <laughs> <laughs> but right. but I know, I know, because there's probably one thing worse than that, and that's in a Greek hospital. But oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. No, but don't get sick in France because the nurses are horrible. <laughs> they really are. They'll go out of their way to make you miserable. Uh, but they'll save your life, so, mm. yeah. I, I take it you were a bit unruly, though. That's probably why they were horrible. Yeah, because of the medicines I was on, they actually when I came out of the coma, they had me. Um, I wasn't aware of it, but apparently I was pretty unruly because of the all the medicines I was on. Right. Uh, but they had me. Um, they had me tied up with leather, all, all uh, my ankles, knees, waist, and wrists, and I made it my uh, my number one goal to slip a wrist through the leather boundings. It took me two weeks, but I did. Um, so that was the that was you, the one win I had. What did you do? Did you have to break your bone, every bone I don't in your know head? How I did? Like I still that. find it remarkable that I was able to do it, but but I did. So, what about what about normal bodily functions? Like, how did you? Uh, if they tied you down, how did you? Oh, well, uh, that, that all of that I couldn't do it by myself anyway. So right, but they just let you stew in your own precious bodily fluids for hours on end. No way. And uh, that's my recollection. It was horrible. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, Wow, gee. But, uh, <laughs> so you, you recovered from that and then yeah. you decided not to come back to Australia. You decided to what, just kick off? I came back. I, came, I, they, I, wasn't, able, I wasn't able to do a long-haul flight. It took me a while to recover. Mm -hmm. uh, like so you were just kicking back in Nice, were you? Yes, and then I, I, I came back via a few different countries just because I couldn't do a long-haul flight. Came back and then uh, did some work and uh, went on my next trip. And I, I know that if I have another bout of this and I'm not near a hospital, I'm a goner. But I'm, I'm resigned to that, you know. Well, that can be true for any, anyone, you know. Um, 
So, so I don't. I rarely give it any thought anymore. Uh, you strike me as a very matter of fact kind of bloke, right? So when I say matter of fact, you've 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 accepted um, life for what it is, and uh, what is it to you? Well, I was brought up as a Catholic, and uh, as I said, my father was the chief crime reporter, a well-known reporter, broke many uh, groundbreaking stories uh, over the years, but his life. Uh, his life was uh, witnessing, uh, uh, you know, horrible stuff. And that made him become overprotective of my sister and I. And um, that probably caused a bit of anxiety. But anyway, I'm sorry, I... I, I, take, it, I, t- I take it, I take it, he, did he end up, like, was it hard for his life because of the crime, like... He seemed to be able to deal with it. So in those days... Um, You'd, you'd, you'd file your story and you'd go down to the pub and you'd be drinking with coppers and crims and, and, and other journos and that's how you got through life, you know. Mm, mm. You'd, you'd have a few beers and talk it over and then, and then move on. Yeah. Whereas people today probably don't get that opportunity to, to talk it through with other people and, uh, you know, they bottle it up. So that was good therapy, I think, for him. Um, but, yes, I, I, I used to be... Uh, I have a strong belief in God, but when, when I had the gun up my head, what it did to me was make me realise that I, uh, I, I thought that somehow my spiritual beliefs would sustain me through uh, a, a life-confronting event, and it didn't really, mm. you know, because I shat myself. I, I, I was, mm. I've, this guy looked like he'd just sprung himself out of Long Bay. He had... Um, he had uh, 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 tattoos up his neck and he, he was intimidating and he had a gun at my head and he said he was going to kill me mm-hmm. and I believed him. And that does something to you at a subconscious level. So I walked away from that thinking that perhaps my, perhaps my belief in God is not as strong as it should be, you know. Right. Um, so maybe that's made me a bit more... And you're still religious in that way now? Like... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I still believe in God because... What's the alternative, you know? I've been brought up that way. Mm. Whenever I've had hardship in my life and I've prayed, somehow I get through things, you know. Mm. That, that's, that was going to be one of my, my questions. My next question is it, it seems like every time you've had um, a major setback, like, for example, you had the problem with uh, your, your, the pain in your chest, and yeah. you, you're, you were saved by someone being nearby. You, you wandered off a trail, you, you were you're saved by a horsebacker, you managed to have a, a problem with your, your chest and you yep. were saved by a doctor because you were close to Nice. Yes. Did you see that as, as signs? Yeah. Well, uh, I've never considered that and, in that and you're right. There's, I've been lucky and, and to all of a sudden not believe in God when all of that's happened, that's kind of spitting in his face, isn't it? So I remember... To, uh, one of the, my great authors, the authors I love, is Thomas Merton. He was a famous Trappist monk, and uh, but a knockabout beer-drinking jazz enthusiast uh, who 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 wrote a book which uh, is responsible for more Catholic conversions last century than any other book mm. other than the Bible. Fascinating author, if you want to check him out, Thomas Merton. Mm. Uh, and I got the chance to interview his uh, his. Um, his uh, editor and uh, and secretary once, uh, but uh, now I've lost train of. Uh, no, it's in no, uh, to you were lucky. You were fortunate. Oh yes, yes, yes. And I asked a bro- brother Patrick Hart once, who was in his nineties. I said, 
you know, do you have any of these, uh, uh, what Mother Teresa used to call spiritual aridity, dryness in prayer? She never could really connect with God, she says. Um, and um, I asked if he had those moments or, or moments of disbelief and he said, well, he said to me, it's a bit late now. In other words, you spend your whole life believing in, in God. You know, it's a bit late to just say, oh, Bhagavad, it's, it's all bullshit, you know, I'll be an atheist. So, so yes, I've had my moments of doubt, obviously, but, um, but when I consider how lucky I've been, then I On think... On the flip side, yeah, right. Yeah, I think right. per, people's personal testimony, testimony of, of God is the greatest thing, uh, the, the greatest uh, indicator that there is a God, you know. Mm. And I suppose you, for, for, in your mind, that, that uh, these journeys that you took uh, reinforce that as well. Like a lot of the things you saw, um, the way you felt, um, there must have just been a constant reinforcement of, of your, your belief. Is that right? Yes, very much. Um, but uh, some people may, listening to this, may get the impression that I'm some kind of... Um, Altar boy, and it's not the, not the, not the truth. I can tell you, you don't look like one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but you do your best, I guess. You know, but there's been moments where where you you think, how could it be? How could it be possible, and all that? But I think the idea is not to get bogged down in in uh, you know literal interpretations and fundamentalism, and just how how do you think God may or may not have helped you in your life, and if if you if you consider what you've just brought to mind for me, how lucky I've been, then 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 probably that's the way to go, you know. So so when you so out of all of this, the big picture, yeah, the the downside, the upside, the the, the hard times, etc. What is it about what you do? What that makes what what's the feeling yeah, like? Yeah. Why do you do it? Yeah, I guess. Well. Uh, I think that, uh, A, you get extremely fit hmm. um, and you, you become, not, I won't say a vagabond uh, because there's more, a, there's more a sense of achieving something. You know, you're, uh, you're living, I think, I think we're designed to be nomadic in some way. I mean, if you look at the, how the Aborigines moved around hmm. and I think that that's very satisfying and, and helpful uh, in mental well-being. Uh, the, the, the daily satisfaction of climbing a mountain uh, and getting there, and it's it's a it's a walking meditation. It's it's mm. it's it's mindfulness as you walk at its best. Yeah. At its best, that's right. Mm. And the sense of achievement, the people you meet, being in nature, uh, eschewing all of the things that we think are going to make us happy, and just getting back to basics. Um, I can remember many times on the trails or on cycling trips, saying to myself, "I could not possibly be any happier than I am now." Like. Mm. Um, and uh, so that's that's why I do it. So is there a feeling that comes over you when you're not doing this for too long? Do you start to go yeah. backwards or like, you know? Yeah, uh, aside from my, men you know, having post-traumatic stress disorder, I don't like to get too attached to labels, but hmm. the reality is that that uh, I do have that sort of smouldering in the background. Um, but the, the fact that I know I will get to do another trial one day is, is usually enough to get me through. So it's something to live for. That's right. Yeah. But what is that next trail? What, where, where, I mean, you've, it seems like you've conquered everything apart from the North Pole and the South Pole. Well, I was thinking about doing a, a remote uh, 
trip across Australia on a, on a mountain bike, uh, say from Brisbane to Broome, but but through all the deserts and off road that kind of thing. Mm. So that's one one thing. Uh, You'll keep me in mind, will you? I will. And you know, I said that I've done the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail. I've been back and done them all both again um, as well. So I'm not uh, not sure of going back and doing the same trail again. You know, because you're always going to encounter encounter a, a place on the trail that will be un, will be influenced by different weather patterns and all yeah. that. So it's like doing it again, yeah. mm. doing it for the first time. Yeah. Oh, I I was uh, just wanted to cover off on maybe your. Well, I guess uh, I guess just your your, your um, general ethos on life, like mm-hmm. uh, like you know, like where to, like how how would you how if you, you were want... going to give somebody advice? Yes, if what you would give... it be? Yeah, how yeah. would you live your life? Um, well, uh, my father always said to me, "Listen and learn, um, and do the best you can." And the ethos of my primary school at Tomrong was aim high. So I guess, you know, they're, they're, they're all uh, pr- pretty good uh, ways to go about things. But, but really uh, just being, using opportunity, every opportunity you can to try and be a nice person to people. Um, all fundamental stuff, you know. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to give any serious advice to anyone because everyone's different, you know. It's all well and good for me to say go and hike a trail, but they may not be financially able to do that, or whatever. But um, well, you're not at the moment. No, <laughs> no, I'm. No, I mean, I'm, but I was lucky. My mate Steve here in the other room, he's he's um, he's put me on board with his financial planning uh, broking business, and I'm very fortunate that he's done that. And I'm looking forward to doing that with him. I know. I imagine you'll be a great help to him as well as uh, vice versa. I hope so. If I don't think I will be, then I'll be out of there. I I know that much. But well, that means there'll be there'll be uh, times in the future where we're going to be having drinks together. That's uh, that's good. That's good to know. That's George's ethos. (laughs) Well, well, my ethos is uh, um, you know gathering. friends and, and new people and having a drink with them, just like you said earlier about, you know, a lot of things, I know it sounds trite, but a lot of things can be sold over a few drinks and just mateship and, you know, having a conversation about things that trouble you and, you know, there's always someone that can relate can relate a story to that and there's always solutions to dilemmas that you may not have a solution to. You know, other people can give you those solutions. So it's very therapeutic. And I agree with you. Yes. It's, uh, so that is my, my way well, of a, dealing with things. That, that's how I feel. And as Thomas Merton said, or perhaps John Dunn before him, mm. no man is an island. Correct. Uh, so we live uh, f- f- for each other, hopefully. Well, strangely, no man is an island, but you put yourself in, uh, in situations where you were an island for many, many months on end. Yes. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I'm pretty good at being in my own company, uh, but I do look forward to catching up with friends and having a beer and all that too. Uh, On that note, I think the last thing that we need to ask is this. We we talked about the song before, Uh which you picked, which is um, ACDC, Long Way to the Top. What's that song mean to you? Well, uh, 
Firstly, it's just a hell of a song. Mm. You know, I think most people uh, would agree with that. I guess my first exposure to it was at boarding school and we would have to line up for these horrible... Um, there'd be a long line because it was supposedly the great thing we'd get once a week was a Chico roll. So we bastardised that song so it was a long way to the top to get a Chico roll. That's right. Um, <laughs> so there was that, but it's just a hell of a song and if you're out riding a bike up a hill or climbing a mountain and you've got that blasting away, it, um, it's pretty relevant. It's pretty re relevant, yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's why I threw that in there. But it could have been a, a, any number of songs, that music that I like, but yeah. So, uh, Matthew, thanks for coming in today. It's been tremendous hearing your story and, uh, and, and there's probably a lot of people out there that it might give them some hope to go and do the things that they want to do that they don't do, really. Thanks, Brett. Mm. It's, it's been wonderful to be here with you both. Mm. It's been Thanks. good. Yeah. Matthew, thank you very much for coming into our studio. And, Taking and, the time. And, and we'll post some of the details of, uh, firstly, the book that inspired you to do the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, well, the only other and question is... there's some is, stuff on here that... that is there um, a way that people can get in touch with you, maybe through our website, if anyone mm. wants to, if anyone wants to uh, learn more about, you know, or quiz you on about on some of the trails. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to do that. I don't have anything formal other than my Facebook, just mm. under Matt Sweeney. Okay. Uh, but, but that's good enough, right? Yeah, yeah that'd be good because they can private message you on that. So it's okay. just Matt, M-A-T-T? -T? Sweeney, and it's a black and white photo. I, I uh, can't tell you any more about how to... There'll be other Matt Sweeney's there, but... There will be. It'll Lots be a black and white photo. I'll just... Um, well, maybe we should describe his... Describe what you look like. He looks... Uh-oh. <laughs> Looks like a very white Elvis. <laughs> a white Elvis. Well, there, there you go. go. <laughs> that works. Hopefully in his younger phase. Not yeah. <laughs> yeah, not in not in, in the wider phase. That's right. Yeah, Matt, that's Matt, thanks a lot for Thanks very in. much, mate. Thanks, thanks. guys. Thank, Thank you, you very much.
Sing it's a long way to the 